we had flames from floor to ceiling and we all just dove back against the, the cave walls and here's this inferno and there's nowhere to go. And we were thinking about just standing up and breaking out of the snow cave. But if we did that, we'd have no shelter for the night. Episode 8, Kurt Linville. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. On this episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast, we're speaking with Kurt Linville. Not only is Kurt a fellow adventure sports enthusiast, but he is my co-host for this show. Today, he'll be speaking about winter backpacking and snow cave camping. Stay tuned. Visit JoeRust.com for world-class motorcycle training solutions. Joe Rust is a BMW accredited trainer and was the first woman to circumnavigate the African continent on a motorcycle. That's www.jorust.com. Kurt, I've given the listeners a little information about you, but can you take a few minutes to go into a little bit more detail about yourself? Thanks, Travis. First, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun to work with the co-host because you and I have known each other for a long time, so this is, this is a fun, special thing to do. Um, I grew up primarily in northeastern Oklahoma in the Ozark Mountains and grew up loving the woods. My... Uh, my mother was a college professor. My father did a variety of jobs, and uh, ranging from construction through working for grocery stores and what have you. So we lived on a farm, but we weren't farmers. And I grew up in nature, which offered a lot of opportunities to um, just fall in love with the outdoors and with adventure sports. And in Oklahoma, my adventure sports were long-distance biking, uh, lots of motorcycles, dirt bikes, water skiing, scuba diving, um, did quite a bit of hiking and, and quite a bit of camping, and even some skydiving while I was there. And then I moved to Colorado back in 1988, and my sports changed to fit the state here. And so I've been doing a lot of downhill skiing, backcountry skiing, winter camping, um, mountain biking, mountaineering, backpacking, and other types of outdoor sports that are available here in Colorado. It's just been a really great time. So today we're going to kind of focus on winter camping. That's kind of unique and it's seasonal. So let's take it away. Okay, so you're saying you had uh, you grew up with plenty of room to roam, and and then thereafter you moved to a state where you have plenty of room to roam. That's uh, I think that's the what makes a an adventure sports enthusiast. Uh, you get that in the child in your childhood, and it just ingrains itself into the rest of your life. I agree. One thing that I noticed when I first moved to Colorado. I was just passionately in love with this state and had tons of fun. But then I needed to leave Colorado for a, a short period, about a year and a half. And it broke my heart because I just thought Colorado was, was everything, you know, at the time. 
But I decided, hey, if I'm leaving Colorado, then wherever I am, I'm going to find what that area has to offer. And I uh, started exploring state parks and smaller open spaces that were available. And I found so much really cool stuff. And I realized that it doesn't really matter where you are. The outdoors is there if you know how to look. And the sports are there, too. You just might have to select sports that are uh, doable in your area. But I encourage all, all the listeners that, you know, there is an adventure sport that's where you live, where you can do the things that, that would be really interesting and enrich your life. Yeah, well said. I agree. I think adventure can be found anywhere you, you find yourself. So winter backpacking and snow cave camping. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us a little bit about how you got into it uh, and why would you encourage others, you know, our listeners to do the same? Sure, you bet. Well, when I first moved to Colorado um, early in life, the income level wasn't real high, which meant that I didn't have a lot of equipment, but I couldn't stand the idea of staying indoors during the wintertime, especially in Colorado where the mountains and the snow um, just call to you in the wintertime. They're so beautiful. And so I started experimenting with winter camping without the right gear. And I'd like to encourage the listeners to try to camp with the right gear. It makes a huge difference. But, you know, my first true winter camping trip, um, I got off work on a Friday night, and I wasn't able to head for the mountains until about 11 o'clock or so. And we had packed up all of our gear, me and a buddy, and we got to the place where we were going to start hiking in maybe around midnight. And so we had backpacks, we had a tent, we had some summer sleeping bags, we had some coats and gloves, and we just decided to go see how rough it would really be, not having the correct sleeping bags or a lot of the gear you normally might want. And we didn't have snowshoes or skis. We just thought, well, we'll just hike in and see how it is. And as we were hiking in, we were staying on top of the snow and everything was fine. And uh, the moon was almost full, and the silver light from the moon being reflected instead of direct from the sun, it, it's almost like another world. It's, it's magical, and for people who have done um, nighttime hikes by the moonlight, you may know what I'm talking about. But when it reflects off the snow, it lights up the world well enough. You can still see color, but it's subtle, and everything is silvery, and it was just it was a life-changing experience. It's one of those experiences where you say, wow, I feel like I'm on another planet. I didn't know that there was, there was a way to experience Earth in this way. It was, it was amazing. And uh, I was really enjoying that, enchanted by it. We ended up pitching our tent on a pile of snow. And when I say a pile, I mean probably 15 to 20 feet of snow in all directions or miles around. We managed to shiver through the night, but we did okay. We just bundled up with our coats and put on our sleeping bags, and, and uh, we didn't freeze to death, even though it was well below freezing. You know, the, the nighttime lows are probably in the teens. The next morning, we got up and ate some breakfast and decided to climb a mountain. And once again, we didn't have crampons. We didn't have the proper gear, but we tried to pick a route that would be fairly safe, and we managed to summit a 12,000-foot peak um, and then we got back down to our tent, packed up our bags. Well, it's mid-afternoon now. 
and the sun had softened the snow. And we had no, uh, no idea that this was going to happen to us. We put on our heavy packs and started to try to walk out. <laughs> and about every third step, our foot would punch through the snow. Of course, it's now soft. The night before, it was hard and frozen, but now it's soft. I and mean, it would sink all the way until our backpack hit the ground. So you find yourself with one leg straight down and no bottom to the snow. And when you try to stand up, your other leg submarines the same way. And you have 50 pounds of gear on your back. So the only way up is to lay down and roll onto your pack and dig your legs out and roll over on all fours and try to stand up. And then you bury an arm. And then you bury another leg. But eventually we would find firm enough snow rolling around like turtles that we could stand up and take a few more steps and then we'd fall through again. And I kid you not, we fell through every third or fourth step for a three-mile hike. And by the time we got out of there, we were beyond exhaustion. It was, it was just crazy. We got delirious. Matter of fact, I remember every time we'd fall through, we would just start laughing and, and uncontrollably not being able to stop out of frustration and out of just the ridiculousness of the situation. If we didn't have to be places, I think I would have just pitched the tent, stayed until the middle of the night, and then tried to hike out. But as it was, we finally wrestled our way out of there. Kind of a crazy story about kids who don't quite know enough and don't have the gear. A pair of snowshoes would have made all the difference. But on that trip, I fell in love with winter camping. And we were in an area that's very busy in the summertime and an area that gets a lot of use. So in the summer, you can see how people have trampled everything down and, you know, it's not pristine anymore. But in the wintertime, that's all covered up. We had it all to ourselves. It was absolutely beautiful, absolutely pristine. And I learned that winter camping is wonderful that way. So that's where I fell in love with it. Since then, I've tried to do a camping trip. Um, in the wintertime, at least one each year. And now we do have the right gear, and we primarily use snow caves instead of tents. Sometimes we backcountry ski into the wilderness. Sometimes we snowshoe in. But regardless, we try to do it regularly, and it is just one of the best ways to encounter nature. Yeah, I think it paints a great picture of the, the two very different environments you can experience yet in the same neck of the woods. I mean, you can go out there in the summer and have a completely different experience than you will in the winter. It almost provides uh, two landscapes or two backyards to play, play in, just having those two different seasons. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a matter of the terrain looking completely different or fewer people. There's also a matter of the added risk, the, the added challenge. A lot of people think of backpacking is a fairly mundane sport, but it's pretty adventurous. And when you do it in the wintertime, especially the first few times, you're not sure what it's going to be like to sleep when the temperatures plummet down to zero degrees or below. You don't know what it's going to be like when a blizzard hits and you're up there. You wonder if you're going to be able to build a snow shelter that's going to get you through the night. I mean, these sorts of questions turn the whole thing on its head. So a place where you would go for a picnic in the sunshine in the summer turns into a place where if you're not careful, you know, you could end up with a lot more adventure than you planned for. Oh, yeah, and that's the very essence of, of adventure, the word adventure uh, in and of itself. The the idea that you can go into an area thinking everything is, is simple and easy and just take for granted, you know, the fact that the sun warmed up the snow like you were describing. And it's very difficult after 
climbing a 12,000 foot peak earlier in the morning to get yourself back out where you, you may have planned on that just being an easy stroll back out to the, to the car. Now you, uh, you find yourself hours into it and struggling just to do it. But you know, it's a, you have to keep a certain mindset about it and just understand that that's what you set out to do. And that's part of the experience and part of the excitement is when you do have to get yourselves out of that pickle. You know, one of our guests recently pointed out that we can live a lifetime doing the daily grind. And when someone asks about it, what do you do? Then we sum it up with, oh, I do X, Y, Z. But then when you ask me a story about winter camping, I remember a camping trip in detail, every facet of it from decades ago. And that's the difference. When we do an adventure sport and we go out and do something that's unique and special, then it makes a lifelong memory, and that's that's valuable. It's a treasure, you know, and when you have a, a chest full of these treasured memories, then you look back and you say, wow, that's a, that's a life well lived. So that's why I do winter camping. It's to have these experiences, to have new challenges, to find out kind of what we're made of and, and to make memories that last. Right. Okay, so that's a good story about uh, cave camping and, and, and climbing climbing the 12,000-foot peak only to find that you had to struggle the rest of the day to get back out of there. Um, the next question is a kind of a two-parter. So, one, I want you to share with us a time or an experience that really stays with you. I mean, what is the, the fantastic experience that you had on one of these trips that you just love to tell the story about. It keeps you going. It gives you that, that desire to get back out and do it again the next year. And then the second part of that question will be what what went wrong on one of your trips? What happened that you would like others to learn from? What happened that you would like to explain to our listeners um, so that they can make decisions or choices, different choices themselves? You know, I... As you're asking that question, I'm thinking back across the dozens of trips that I've taken over the years, and each one has its own stories. And uh, maybe we'll get to some of those stories on other podcasts, but, you know, there were times that we were caught up at altitude far, far from um, shelter or from our cars in the middle of the night, in the middle of an unexpected fall blizzard, without the proper gear, and we had to find our way out with zero visibility. We've had those sorts of experiences. We've also had the experiences where we build a snow cave and it collapses, and then you're already deep in the wilderness and your shelter's gone. What do you do in the middle of a blizzard? You know, we've had those experiences. I've also had experiences climbing a 14,000-foot peak in the wintertime. It's very hard, very cold. I, I think I'm going to tell this one a little bit, but... I climbed Mount Elbert in the winter with a buddy, and it was a challenging climb in the snow. Um, every step, if you're on snowshoes, it helps a lot, but every step sinks a little bit, and when you step up to get to the top of the snow, then that foot sinks a little bit. So it's not like walking on firm ground. Every step takes the energy of two or three, and so there's a real challenge there, especially because you usually have to start these hikes farther from the trailhead than you normally would just because the access is snowed in. So we started our hike, and it was two degrees at the base of a mountain Fahrenheit. And as we climbed up, the wind intensified, and as you go higher in altitude, it just gets colder and colder. 
we didn't have a thermometer with us, but we know that we were hiking in, in far sub-zero temperatures. And the winds got up to, uh, well, if you're a skydiver, you know the terminal velocity is about 120 miles an hour, and that's when the wind can support your weight and you don't accelerate anymore. That's also the point at which you feel like the wind is going to pick you up and throw you off a mountain. And believe me, we were picked up and thrown. So how high were these winds? I don't know, but the gusts were certainly breaking 100 miles an hour. And as we climbed up this mountain in the frigid cold with, with extreme winds, we realized, wow, we started out to climb something that's 14,000 feet tall, but it's starting to feel like it's, you know, a 20,000-foot major climb. But we, we kept at it. We stayed warm enough, just barely. We were very careful with our exposed skin and that sort of thing. And we got to the top of the mountain. And from the top of Elbert, you can see dozens of other 14ers and hundreds of 12,000 and 13,000-foot peaks. And it was a sunny day in spite of the wind and the cold, and the visibility was unlimited. And as far as the eye could see, there were just white peaks scraping the sky and wind blowing snow off of them, making what looks like mare's tails blowing off the peaks. And we stood in the sun and the high wind, had to yell to even hear each other talk. But the views from up there were amazing. And you could get the same view from an airplane. But there's a difference. Because when you put the energy and the effort into conquering a mountain like that, you work for hour upon hour in extreme conditions. When you get to the top, the endorphin rush, the adrenaline rush, knowing that you, you managed to do what you set out to do and that you could see such an amazing view. From an airplane, it's beautiful. But when you've walked to the top of the mountain, it just knocks your socks off. And it's a high that you just can't get any other way. It was, it was one of those life experiences I'll never forget, and I'll always crave another. Yeah, that's the difference of, uh, between looking at a photograph of a, a beautiful mountain and standing there witnessing it yourself. It's worth all of the effort that you went through. It's funny, those, uh, those experiences kind of give one a, a small sliver, a little inkling of what the, the guys climbing Everest and, and the, you know, the tallest peaks in the world are going through. And of course, it doesn't equate, but it really, it really makes you respect the folks that are doing that when you're in those, that environment and those situations. Oh, yeah, it's, it's no small thing. And we've interviewed mountaineers who have done the high peaks. And, uh, you know, it's a different world than in some of the lower climbs in the summertime. So. But, you know, there was a second part to the question, something about when things didn't go quite right. Um, I'm going to weave two together just because they're both kind of short. But in one snow cave we did, it was one of the first snow caves that we'd built, we went to an area that didn't have quite enough snow to just tunnel in. So we built a mound, which took a while, and then we hollowed it out and... We finally went inside. By this time, it was it was very dark and windy and cold, and uh, we wanted to be inside out of the wind because it was just frigid outside. And so we decided we would try to cook inside of the snow cave. Now, for the listeners, there are several things we did wrong here. Um, one is that we're trying to cook inside of a enclosed space where carbon monoxide could have been a problem, where you know, you're working way too close to your to your hot surfaces, and it, it ended up being a bigger problem than we might have thought. We had 
a hole in the top of the snow cave so that we could have fresh air. And we decided just to monitor ourselves real carefully and see if we started feeling anything to make sure that the fumes weren't hurting us. And we were trying out a, uh, a, a gas-fueled camp stove that is the kind that you could put unleaded gasoline in, and you could pump it up with pressure, and then it's supposed to, to burn. Well, we pumped it up with pressure and didn't realize that the rubber O-rings weren't seated properly, that some connection there had a problem. And we had a tarp in the bottom of the snow cave that we used to keep us off the wet snow. Well, unbeknownst to us, a pool of unleaded gasoline um, developed underneath our cook stove. And when it finally got warm enough, the fumes ignited, and we went from being inside of a very confined, low-ceiling camp stove, I'm sorry, snow cave, and our camp stove literally exploded. Um, we had flames from floor to ceiling, and we all just dove back against the, the cave walls, and here's this inferno, and there's nowhere to go. And we were thinking about just standing up and breaking out of the snow cave, but if we did that, we'd have no shelter for the night. And so we finally realized that we could throw snow on the fire and get it to go out. And so we started digging into the walls of the snow cave, and we buried that camp stove in snow, and the fire did go out, but not before our plastic tarp had burned and filled the snow cave with toxic fumes. We couldn't breathe. I mean, it was absolutely toxic. So then we were kicking open the door and coughing and sputtering out into the frigid night blizzard, and uh, everything went okay, but we were really, really lucky. We were lucky because all we lost were a little bit of our eyebrows. It could have been so much worse. Had we had severe burns, it was many miles back out to a car to help. And luckily, no one got burned. We aired out the cage. We were able to um, somehow get some dinner without burning ourselves up and made it through the night. But that was one of those situations where we did a lot of wrong things. So for the listeners, I would say, number one, don't cook in a snow cave, right? Number two... You might even consider using something besides a, a stove that has leaky O-rings. That's another lesson there. And uh, third, you should always have a backup plan, some sort of a plan B if things don't go the way that, that you think that they should. Luckily, we didn't have to do a plan B, but had we, it could have been really rough. Yeah, so I that, think those are really good points. I, one of the, the things that comes to mind is I think a lot of us set out uh, – into the environment and, and doing something like uh, snow cave camping or just a simple backpacking trip uh, without first aid training and, and potentially without any first aid kit. And what you just ex described there, you guys got out of that very fortunate, uh, but it could have gone very badly too. So I would hope that, that our listeners would also go in on these trips with some training and some materials to use in the event that they they had an issue like this, and it didn't turn out so luckily. Yeah, I think training is a must. At a bare minimum, um, you need to read some books about winter camping, and you need to learn about things like avalanche danger and hypothermia. You need to learn about um, carbon monoxide inside of snow caves and how to build snow caves that aren't going to collapse on you in your sleep. And you know, There are a lot of things you want to know before you go in and try it the first time. Hey, 
Hey friends, don't miss out on the family fun that is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness this summer. Paragus Northwoods Company, located at the edge of the wilderness in Ely, Minnesota, is a leading supplier of fun for families and friends in the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Paragus supplies the canoes and the camping gear that makes a wilderness adventure so easy and so enjoyable. Find them online at paragus.com. That's P-I-R-A-G-I-S dot com. Or pick up the phone and talk to their outfitting department at 1-800-223-6565. 1-800-223-6565. Geargasm.net is the number one place to buy outdoor gear made by startups, independent, and innovative outdoor brands. They sell everything from backpacks, stoves, tents, solar power technology, trekking poles, and everything else you need when you go outdoors. Check out their full line of products for all of your day hiking, backpacking, and car camping needs at Geargasm.net. That's G-E-A-R-G-A-Z-M dot net. Be sure to use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% on your next order. Hi, this is Alan Carl, World Rider. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast. A, a second story where things didn't go quite right. And this one's not nearly as exciting nor nearly as foolish, but it's a real eventuality when you're when you're winter camping. So another friend and I decided to go on a winter trip. And as luck would have it, a blizzard moved in, of course, as we decided to leave for our trip. So we took skis this time, and we were backcountry skiing several miles into the wilderness in the middle of a blizzard. It's very cold, wind's blowing, snow's everywhere, and that, you know, those are the conditions you just have to be prepared for. But finally, when we arrived where we wanted to camp, it was late, too late, because of the conditions and the time that we got started. And so we were in a hurry. We built a a mound of snow. Again, we didn't have quite enough snow to just burrow in. And... Because it was so cold and, and dark, and because the blizzard was not letting up, we got in a real hurry to get inside of our snow cave. So we built this mound of snow, and right away started to try to dig um, the hollow out on the inside. Well, if you know anything about snow caving, you know that after you build a mound in cold conditions especially, the snow has to have an hour or maybe even two to consolidate so that it gets firm enough to support its own weight. Well, we are in a hurry because we're freezing, right? So I dove into digging, and uh, we got the the cave about 75% hollowed out, and it collapsed right down on top of me. Now, it wasn't so heavy that I couldn't get out of it, which could happen. I was able to get out easily enough, but we had no snow cave. And it takes a few hours to build a proper snow cave. I mean, people think it'll be fast and fun. It is fun, but it takes time, and that's one of the biggest challenges of a dome cave is you need to plan the time that it takes to build it properly. Um, So here we were now, fully dark, full-blown blizzard, and we didn't have a snow cave to sleep in. Turns out this time we were prepared. We hollowed out the, the part of the cave that had collapsed and left the high walls, and that blocked a lot of the wind, and we had brought a winter tent with us this time. So we were able to pitch the tent in the hollow, crawl inside, and you know what? We had a fairly comfortable night's rest. You don't have to use a snow cave for winter camping. It's just part of the fun for us. 
but having the backup tent really saved our skins. Well, that's good to know. And actually, there's a common message in your last two stories was that cold can make you do some goofy things, some things that you might not have done, you know, in a normal frame of mind because you want to get out of the cold. You you push the the edge of of what you should, and uh, sometimes it can make us do things that we shouldn't be. We need to have a a good mindset going into it and realize where we are and that we need to take time and do it right the first time. Oh yeah, and one of the big messages that I want everyone to hear about winter camping is plan your schedule such that you have plenty of time to build your shelter and don't get caught where you feel like, you know, hypothermia is is a potential challenge. Um, just a quick rundown of hypothermia, that just means that your body is no longer able to heat itself and your body temperature starts to drop. And that happens really easily in these sorts of conditions. And it starts out, you know, you have cold hands and feet. Okay, everyone's experienced that. Your lips turn blue, and you start slurring your speech a little bit. It's not just because your lips are cold. When you start slurring your speech, it's because you're losing coordination. And at that point, um, those are the early warning signs that say you better do something to warm up. Um, after that, it just goes downhill fast. People start to shiver uncontrollably. Then they quit shivering. They lose their mental acuity. Their decision-making ability just disappears. I had a friend who caught in a blizzard on the way out. He got too cold, and he decided just to sit down. And we had to hike on out to shelter or die. There was no option. And he sat down. I said, dude, you can't. We have to keep going. He goes, no, I'm done. I'm just going to sit here. It'll be all right. Go on without me. Completely serious. He didn't realize that he couldn't even decide whether to walk or sit and what the consequences were. He would have died in a matter of probably 30 minutes. And we had to slap him around, seriously, slap him around to get him to stand up to hike on out of there to shelter where we were able to get him warmed up and everything was okay. Hypothermia kills because you lose your mental acuity. But then it gets even crazier. People start doing what they call terminal burrowing which is weird, but they start trying to build a last-minute shelter because they know they're freezing. And there's never enough time. You try to build the shelter that late in the game, you're not going to get it built in time. I have another friend who was found dead in a half-built snow cave, so it, it really does happen. Um, and then the last one is the most bizarre of all. As people are dying from the cold, they feel like they're overheated, and they take off their clothes. So wow, that's crazy. It is weird but they they disrobe off and all the way down to the skin because they think that they're burning up. And so when hypothermia victims are found later, they're often naked. So hypothermia is nothing to joke about. Um, that's why on winter camping, you've got to plan your shelter early, and you've got to start it early when you have plenty of time, and you need to have alternative ways to stay warm and especially if you're doing a trip where you're going a good distance into the wilderness, um, hiking back out may not be an option if, if your shelter doesn't work out. So you've really got to know what you're doing there. So to me, it sounds like three takeaways. One, leave yourself plenty of time. You never know what situation could arise that you have to deal with that takes more time. Two, take the, the right gear. Don't just wing it. Plan on doing it with the right gear. If you don't have the right gear, wait until you do. And three, take partners. You know, in these in these situations you've explained, if you or this these other folks had only been only been the only people out in the field, um, 
on that trip, they might have made a, a uh, deadly decision without somebody else uh, that had a clear head talking them through it. So I think those are, are excellent stories and uh, great takeaways from them. Well, the good news is I've been on dozens of trips that went perfectly. There's always a challenge, and that's the reason why we do it. But when you have the right gear and, you know, you are prepared, the, the most important gear you can take is, is knowledge, what you have between your ears and what to do in different situations. But having the right gear and the right knowledge, really winter camping can be very safe, even in extreme conditions. But you've got to have your plan B and C. You know, you have to know what you're doing. And so I encourage people to try it, but do it first in your backyard, then do it next to your car. And then when you, when you learn the ins and the outs of it and you've experienced some really harsh conditions, you might consider actually skiing or hiking in a little ways and keep it small at first. Work your way up to it until you have experience to know that you can survive anything that nature throws at you. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So in our podcast, normally we will give our interviewee a chance to describe their business or a book that they might be promoting. Uh, since this is our own podcast, why don't you take a few minutes and give our listeners an idea of the objectives of the Adventure Sports Podcasts and the benefits that we hope to to have by producing this? Oh, you bet. That'd be fun. I'm kind of winging it here, but... Um... First, I want to mention that Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to our listeners by 180TAC. It's owned by 180TAC, and 180TAC is an outdoor company that provides innovative products for backpacking and camping and um, other types of adventure sports. So that is a lot of our motivation for doing the podcast is so that we can partner up with 180TAC and uh, let people know that we're out there. But the Adventure Sports Podcast is really about, um, it's about the listeners, and that's the other side of the coin. We want to provide entertaining, informative stories that people can learn from. We want people to uh, gain experience from others so that they can be safer in their adventure sports. We want people to have the opportunity to hear about new sports and to get some insights into what that might be because we really want to encourage people to get out there and do adventure sports, have some fun, figure out what your sport's going to be and, and enlarge your life, enlarge your world because it will do that for you. You'll, you'll even enlarge your own person as you find yourself challenged by the sport and as you learn how to make wise decisions and act responsibly in challenging situations. It, it makes you a little bit better prepared of a human perhaps but it certainly instills a lot of self-confidence and self-awareness and so we really want to encourage people just to get out there and try some of these things it doesn't have to be winter camping you know it can be scuba diving it can be um, motorcycle touring it could be skydiving it could be mountaineering rock climbing you name it and the adventure sports podcast is all about those sports sports that will take people out for new experiences where they can have fun and uh, be challenged. And so we're going to be covering all these sports as the years go by. And we want the listeners to uh, listen in so that they can hear about other people's sports, but also, you know, we'll try to get really good information on a variety of sports. So we will get around to doing podcasts on your particular sports too, and we want to be a source of information there. In addition to that, 
we're setting up directories so that um, listeners can connect with other people who are involved in the sports they're interested in. So outfitters and retailers and instructors, trainers, will have a way to connect with people that um, might want to do their sport. So we're going to have a directory set up, and we're also going to have our membership page. And a membership page will allow the listeners to uh, sign up and be part of the Adventure Sports Podcast community where they can better connect and learn from each other and, and get discounts on goods and services from the various vendors and outfitters that we, we work with. So it's going to be a fantastic time and a lot of fun. And not least, but last, I want to mention that we are very much interested in helping nonprofits. And I like to call these people the encouragers, um, those that donate their time and energy to helping other people to discover the wilderness or helping other people to reach beyond their own personal limitations. There, there are literally hundreds of organizations out there, and their purpose is to reach out and, and help their fellow human um, experience life in, in a new and expanded way. And so the Adventure Sports Podcast will be interviewing these organizations, representatives from these organizations from time to time, and we want to uh, build awareness of what these organizations are doing and how they can help other people out. So if you are a person that's involved in a volunteer organization or some sort of an encourager, then please contact us and let's schedule a time when um, we can bring your message to the Adventure Sports Podcast community. We're going to be interviewing um, each other as hosts from time to time so the listeners get to know us a little bit. And it's all a part of, of building up the community. We want people to uh, connect with us, and, and we want to be able to think of our listeners as friends. And so that's why we're going to do this. From time to time, Travis will interview me, or I'll interview Travis. We're going to try different sports that we're involved with and, and try to give you opportunities to learn about us as well as the sport. Right, and actually by doing this uh, podcast, it'll give us a little insight on other sports and stuff that we might want to try ourselves. All right, so the last question for today's podcast goes back to what you spoke on, which is winter backpacking and snow cave camping. What I'd like to have you do is just basically summarize how how these adventure sports that you spoke about benefit society or the folks that are doing them or the folks that uh, might do them in the future? What what incentives would you describe for somebody to get into this? I'm going to start on the individual level. You know, the listeners have probably already gathered that, you know, the memories that are created by these experiences, encountering nature in, in fresh ways, um, they enlarge your life. I've said that over and over again. I think it's good for anybody to challenge themselves, to get out there and, and try stuff. You know, I often hear people say, oh, winter camping, forget it. I can't stand to be cold. Well, that's okay if you feel that way, but the reality is that's a self-imposed limitation. And if we want to have expanded lives and be all we can be, then sometimes we need to stretch those boundaries a little bit. And with the right training and the right gear, um, it is possible to uh, overcome some of those, those self-imposed limitations to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and try it even though I don't like to be cold. 
I'm going to go ahead and try this and see what it's like. And it may not be the thing for me, but I'll always have the memories. And I can always look back and say, hey, I did that. I know what that's about. And if I ever had to do it again, I know that I could. Or you may fall in love with it, and then it just becomes an enlarging part of your life. So in that sense, I think individually we can all benefit from doing things like winter camping, trying new things. But in a larger sense, um, experiencing nature, you know, you think about it, nature is our source. The human race came from nature and lived in nature for thousands of years, and we now live apart from nature. And when we're disconnected from, you know, the, the nature that sustains us, I think that it's easy to forget what our place is in this universe, what our place is in this world. And um, as we go out, you know, as a whole society, as we go out and we learn more about nature and about ecology and about this planet, we experience it, we touch it, we feel it, then I think we we kind of find our place in the in the larger scheme of things. And it's very, very beneficial just for one's own self-awareness and awareness of this little blue marble that we all live on and share here. I think it's even more enlarging because and it makes us wonder, well, why do we do things like like have wars and fight over resources and struggle so much politically in this world when we all depend on this one little planet that's spinning around the sun for our lives? And as we begin to understand this planet and our connection to it, I think it helps us and motivates us to think a little bit more about the common good and maybe a little bit less about uh, selfish desires and ambitions that can lead to such destructive things as wars and and political oppression and what have you. So it, it may not be the answer to everything, but I guarantee it, there's no harm done by getting out and experiencing nature. Hey guys, will you help us make the Adventure Sports Podcast successful? Take a few minutes to rank us on iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe, rank, review. Thanks. Would you like to be a guest on our show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us.